Day one FM. I've just submitted my uh, UPS long haul driver application. You guys seen that? No, wait. Can you explain? Uh, uh, I so keep saying some UPS things. Yeah, I? yeah. I know it is kind of just turned into a meme now. But basically, so their contract was up and they were negotiating with um, the union or the drivers were negotiating. The drivers union was negotiating with UPS for. Um, you know, I think good cause. There are tons of. I I don't think that UPS trucks are outfitted with air conditioning, which, seeing as we've just well, experienced, there's no doors, so okay. But whatever, you're in a metal <laughs> box. Seeing as it's, we've just it's lived through air conditioning, <laughs> seeing as we've just lived through the hottest month on record ever, I think air conditioning is not an unreasonable ask. But anyway, so now, as part of the renewed contract. The base salary for a long haul UPS driver is $170,000, which to Twitter seems like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, That's but you know, like cost more inflation. Than the annual average salary, so. Yeah, well, the annual average salary, I think, is like 80 something thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's not the that's not the topic of today's podcast, but regrettably, my joke, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I do wonder what the application. For, I wonder if it's like you're when you're a pilot. For when you fly commercial, you have to fly like a certain amount of hours before you're a commercial pilot. Like, what is it? I think it they have to go UPS? through a bit more of a process <laughs> than UPS. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> no, this is no no discredit to the uh, the talented men and women of, of UPS. UPS. That's true. There That's was true. actually an interesting article a while ago about like long haul truckers, which UPS drivers are not, but that basically like the long haul trucking community is suffering like huge cuts to salary, which used to be like a pretty solid like median income job. Um, but yeah, the delivery community been reading a lot, hearing yeah. a lot. Great way to get away from the wife and kids for a while. <laughs> Even you know an ear to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. god. Well, all right, last point on this. Have you seen that, like, TikTok that's been circulating on Twitter? Because that's usually how these things go, of that woman being like, this is why I can't have coffee, because my husband has to sit with me for three and a half hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah. she, like, only has gums in her mouth. That's like, no teeth. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. That's besides Wait. the point. And all, those, all the quote t- tweets are like, I know he finds reasons to stay at work late or something like that. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, today on the pod, I want to talk about uh, gerontocracy, which is rule by the elderly, because that seems to be a common theme, not just in our government, where we have, uh, you know, Diane Feinstein, who needs to be reminded of what votes she is <laughs> putting in for, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, war funding to, you know, glit- Mitch the Glitch, <laughs> Mitch, the glitch, <laughs> Mitch McConnell. The glitch McConnell, but... Uh, Gerontocracy is elsewhere in our culture, most notably in Hollywood, where the industry seems to really be struggling to mint new talent. Like there's it's kind of hard to tell, I feel like, what a what a Timothy Chalamet movie is or what a insert, you know, younger, younger talent movie might be. Um, Who's a girl in Euphoria? Zendaya. Zendaya. What a Zendaya movie might no, be. Zendaya. Zendaya, excuse me. But we all know what a Tom Cruise movie is or a uh, Denzel Washington, et cetera. So I don't Chris know if Rock you... Movie. Chris Rock movie. Chris Rock, sure. Um, I don't know if this is something that you all have been seeing as well. Um, maybe not just in movies, maybe in music too, but um, just want to kick things off there. Well, yeah, I think there's a really interesting point of where before actors would really try hard to diversify the roles they were getting so they could say, like, 
I have done the Charlize Theron like monster movie and the Charlize Theron, you know, blonde, what is it called? The like assassin movie she's done. Oh, Atomic Blonde. Atomic yeah. Blonde. Yeah. So uh, I think there's been like, you know, all actors always want to work with new directors and diversify their roles, but that's not really the point here. The point is like, if you were a surefire bet on a specific type of genre movie, whether it's action or thriller or whatever, you would be cast in those roles forever and ever. Amen. Which would kind of like mint your status in Hollywood because you see one Vin Diesel car movie and you associate Vin Diesel with a good car thriller and you go back to the theater because Vin Diesel is going to deliver on the thrill ride of another <laughs> car movie. But um, I think there's just something, something's going on here. There's something in the water. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this back on our pod, our Pablomatic pod. Mm. I can't remember what the context of it was, but I do remember talking about how, you know, trying to make the, a name for yourself in a media slash, like, I guess, entertainment ecosystem that's so, like, franchise built, where, like, you're not really the star, the IP is the star, mm -hmm. and you're not really kind of, like, for lack of a better word, like co-creating that IP with the studio as their kind of like lead star, you know, to your point, like I think Vin Diesel is a good example of that, of like he's sort of become synonymous with like a certain type of action movie. Or um, my favorite is like, have you seen the meme where The Rock is like, these are four different The Rock movies and it's like four <laughs> stills of the movies and he looks like the same in the same jungle shirt and like a lush jungle behind him or something. It's so, I haven't seen that, but like, sounds on par for The Rock. Right. I mean, I think the other thing too, which maybe, you know, speaks to like the broader climate is that, you know, we don't really have maybe the monoculture that we did even like 10 years ago, just based off of like the way that so much entertainment has like migrated to streaming services mm -hmm. where like you might not see Yellow Jackets and think of like the girl who plays young, um, whatever, plays one of the young girls like you might not see her and be like oh that's a new rising talent or like you might not have watched euphoria and you might not be as familiar with zendaya 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 gosh sorry to zendaya um but i do think there's like a lot to the fact that like streaming has also kind of fractured a bit of star power that mm -hmm. you, it's harder i think for someone to have like the mass consumption or like mass appeal unless you're in something like i don't know barbie maybe but um I just don't think like stars are being seen by as many people consistently as they maybe used to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I there's a really interesting clip that has I'm not going to say viral, but has like repeatedly come back, you know, intermittently over the course of the past five years or something where Ethan Hawke is doing an interview, like some kind of junket. And the guy who is asking him questions is like, you know, why do all these sequels and stuff get made or whatever? And he's like. It's because there was a very successful model in Hollywood of how a movie would come out in theaters. Then there would be, maybe it wouldn't even make its whole budget back, but then there would be a DVD release and the DVD sales would account for like the budget plus more. It was basically a second financial bump in the life cycle of a film release, which kind of signaled to the studios that like this kind of a movie, this indie whatever movie that perhaps wasn't initially popular does have massive legs and like fan appeal and can mint stars like a Timothy Chalamet and call me by your name, for example. And with the loss of that business model, as we've transitioned to streaming, which was just an experiment that like kept going without actually any projections of how well it would do for Hollywood. We've sort of lost that 
financial second bump or, you know, that would kind of underline why we could make these movies. So now that we're just like shooting for the stars and releasing any old thing on streaming, um, it makes sense that like there's no stars coming out of it because we're shifting to IP releases and we're just relying on like I think there's a new turtle Ninja Turtles movie out. Yeah, apparently it was very good. Which apparently is very good, and I'm gonna see it probably because what else is there to see? Um, but it's kind of it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's also interesting in the context of like the technology of which is like a uh, part of the flashpoint of the strikes, notably kind of advanced deep fakes that allows studios to use like the likeness of actors like long after they're in a movie or put their face on a different actor this technology has also been used for de-aging so it's like that type of ai for instance in the irishman or also <laughs> great in, example in the new uh indiana jones movie where they de-aged harrison ford who's like in his late 80s speaking of gerontocracy where it's like the focus is now on using these tools to just make older actors look younger instead of just trying to find younger ac younger actors who could maybe do better in the movie. Maybe not do better, but I think part of the other reason why they use like de-aging technology is because, again, it's a proven bet that like, oh, people want to go see the Indiana Jones with Harrison Ford. They don't want to go see the Indiana Jones with Paul Mezcal or whatever. Um, I mean, but, uh, <laughs> as Clara gives me the side eye. Yeah, I mean, but I again, might. that takes out all of the novelty element from like going to see a movie. You you just know what you're where you're there to expect. But, and those uh, old folks are the ones whose careers are probably the most threatened. Like if we have already 10 examples of a rock in the jungle movie, guess who AI is coming after first? If you just like <coughs> barely emote in the jungle and look like the rock, you better believe I can make that on mid journey in like Yeah, minutes. I guess, but there's like, I feel like there's levels to it where I feel like all of these established actors, I'm not saying like they have no good reason to strike, but they're also at the top of the like Hollywood food chain. You know what I mean? Like I think Tom Cruise is raking in tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars from these films and yes it is problematic like the living standards and the labor standards of working in hollywood surely are less than they were previously due to streaming due to you know the growing emphasis on franchises and ip but i would be more concerned if you're like the lower lower tier actor or the the extra but i'm neither so i don't know <laughs> And I don't know, not to take us far off what we're talking about in terms of like whatever mainstream talent, but I was listening. There was a segment on NPR about like how extras are really concerned about how studios are basically asking them to give consent for like body scans where basically like, you know, if you have a scene in Game of Thrones or whatever, they'll have a battle scene and then some of those people will be then like AI generated. Mm -hmm. They'll kind of like backfill additional people. So it seems like thousands are there versus just a few hundred but now with ai sort of having progressed to the place that it has they could potentially like fill a restaurant with fake people and that would i mean in addition to being just like really weird and i wonder also as an actor who's like a lead actor how do you act against an empty restaurant like mm -hmm. i feel like surely that's also kind of an artistic hindrance but in a, in any case they were talking about how like if you lose extras you also lose like what was a really powerful like talent development pool of like I feel like even when you watch 
movies and shows from the 90s, you see like background actors or like Carrie Bradshaw's like weird boyfriends and it's all like some famous guy or like he became famous later. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's the AI stuff like affects both ends yeah. like pretty significantly. Total non sequitur, um, but just on the AI sec- um, piece for a second. I was reading this piece about Zoom. I know, very exciting. <laughs> and it said Zoom made changes to its terms of service back in March but concern only spiked this past weekend after Hacker News posted highlight after a Hacker News post highlighted that changes appeared to give the company unbounded rights to use content to train its AI systems, which is just like oh, all of our meetings are being used to train. Well, I don't know what. So type they're of tracking meeting. my facial movements. Yes, well, um, yes. Sorry. Did Trey. I ever tell you guys about you. like the Enron thing? This connects back. <laughs> No, was this the emails? Yeah, this is like predictive Where are the emails? text. Yeah. No, this was like how they basically, when Enron was like, you know, completely gutted and legitimately so, perhaps, like they had, you know, they were one of the first companies, or not one of the first, but like one of the first companies that basically, like, in the course of all of these like hearings and trials, all of these emails were leaked, or not leaked, but like presented as evidence. And so, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Google, but like to train the predictive text bot, they basically had this entire pool of like old Enron emails to like train the robot on. So like the first predictive text robot was like trained on Enron emails, a lot of which were like personal messages of like people being like, oh, like so-and-so is such a bitch and like all of that (laughs) stuff too. But I do think like the Zoom thing is scary. I hadn't heard about that, but it's yeah. also like not surprising. Like, no, I mean, if well, I had it, data, it's big. It's very like boring dystopia. You're like, right. oh, yeah. why should I care about that? And then it's like, okay, wait. I, yeah, that's uh, why I think this is so scary. Is because this is kind of happening at a pace with which we cannot keep up. Really, like most people don't know about this stuff. But also, it's happening in such a mundane way that it's hard to get angry at it. But we should be extremely angry you get like, it try <laughs> no i'm you know what i, I mean, mean i like, agree yeah we should be like rioting in the streets if you're you know i feel like there's many people who whose whole platform is built on like personal data being stolen and privacy and like don't invade very like libertarian movement kind of vibes where it's like less government uh whatever <laughs> you know i mean the government's probably doing its own ai program but i just think it's like these big corporations are literally harvesting our data to inform how their systems will probably at some point take over yours and my job. And we are just kind of sitting here like, yeah, I read this boring Zoom article. That <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, <laughs> this is just it's like meet the new boss, same as the old boss situation where like that has been happening with digital advertising and like all of these social media platforms, Google Beep companies <laughs> who essentially just harvest our data without our consent or they make the like terms of service agreement so arcane and the text in, you know, 0.5 font that you're like, fuck it, I'm just going to click accept. And they harvest our data to enrich themselves. Sorry, now this is like big tin- tinfoil hat, but they, you know, harvest our data and our digital behavior to, you know, enrich themselves and sell advertise- advertisements against and we don't see it. We don't see a dime on that. And now I think it's now I think people are like, OK, well, we're not going to let this happen again. Like you can't scrape our data to inform your models to then monetize it for yourself and not give us a cut, mm-hmm. which I think is like part of the whole thing with the with the Hollywood strike. It's like all about, you know, consent, compensation and control like they 
people want those three things, which is what Lucas Shaw was talking about in his AI piece, which I would implore everyone to read. But yeah, you don't you don't hear a presidential candidate talking about that. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. But the but it's a hundred degrees. Who's controlling the air conditioner <laughs> yeah. here? Oh man. Well, the media will say yeah. <laughs> the media will say he looks so sweaty, but it's the air. <laughs> that was my horrible Trump accent. Uh, that was Trump. I thought that was supposed to be like DeSantis. Or no, no. Uh, didn't you see that clip where he was like literally pouring sweat and he's like. Who's in charge of the AC? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great <laughs> job, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hundred degrees. That's that's like a that's like a mid Atlantic. I'm I'm working yeah, on yeah. it. You're it's work in progress. You're Canadian. Um all right, shifting gears. I wanted to speak to or hoping that you might speak to this tray about a tweet from Pop Base. Before I dive in, what the hell is Pop Base, Pop Pop Crave, all of these pops? Like, why are they so ubiquitous on the platform now? Well, there was an article about that recently, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, I skimmed through it, and I, I like, I kind of get that it's it's kind of like a they do everything. They do politics, they do pop culture, they do you know, so and so just posted this selfie, like <laughs> shines but, a new selfie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but why are <laughs> they? Why is it brother. everywhere? <laughs> is it just because the platform is so terrible now that I'm only served pop crave and pop base? Like, well, I think it's. Um, just a matter that they can break news first and get credit for it. And yeah. so, you know, they are an aggregator essentially, but they're just severely online pop stands Damn. for the most part who reach the news first Damn. and disseminate it to an audience. Y'all good? Uh, all right. Well, anyway, the tweet reads, music executives tell Billboard that they're worried and depressed, which is a strong word, <laughs> as the industry struggles to find big artist breakthroughs, noting Olivia Rodrigo and Ice Spice as the last recent, su- recently successful ones. Quote, no one, nobody knows how to break music right now. Each person I talk to in the industry is more depressed about this than the person I talked to before them. So I feel like in mu- in Hollywood, in the music industry as well as Hollywood, there's kind of a crisis of novelty of new breakthrough artists what say you well question for the room like who's number one on billboard right now Uh, drake taylor swift i mean i don't know the answer but no i don't know the point is like who is breaking through (sighs) morgan wallen oh is that that what's that oh the country guy yeah luke combs not in my small travis scott taylor (laughs) swift yeah, I think, okay, so first of all, to kind of, you know, prove this theory correct, Ice Spice went viral on TikTok because she participated in, like, a bussin' challenge or something. No, she, no, no, that's not true. I don't that's think so. That's true. Is it? Yeah. I thought she had, she had a song, Munch. No, that, this was before that. Okay, okay. So she first went viral on TikTok because she participated in this, like, viral trend called, like, What's Bussin' or Who's Bussin' or something. Where you're like kind of dressed in a dowdy outfit and then like you transition to a really hourglass figure type outfit and the crowd (laughs) went wild, Um, which, you know, I think like that proves that TikTok has the power to kind of mint new stars and is like the maybe sole app to, you know, do that in today's day and age. And then Olivia Rodrigo literally came through the very tried and true Disney machine. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing new about her breaking as an artist. She was literally, like, she's Selena gomez or Miley cyrus or, like, pick one. You know what I mean? Was she that big on uh, Disney Channel? 
She was in well, the High School Musical, the movie. Oh, movie. okay. Yeah, High School Musical, the movie, this And series. then that was like, <laughs> I know, it's so confusing speaking <laughs> of all these franchises. But then there was also what I think is interesting too with the Olivia Rodrigo's, there was like a pop-based discourse around like even like the driver's license song because it was about how her boyfriend, ex-boyfriend hooked up with Sabrina Carpenter, yeah. allegedly, after. And then the whole album is basically, it's like the sort of Taylor Swift model of yeah. like, and maybe I'll get the Swifties. But it's like, it's the Taylor Swift thing of like, you're sort of like relevant in like a sort of cultural discourse as well as being sort of like having this massive Disney machine behind you. Right. Already. Her name is Clara Malley. She lives on. I, yeah. well, don't, don't, don't do their work docked. for them, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, because Olivia Rodrigo released an album at the same time as Joshua Bassett, who I believe she was dating at the same time, who also had Disney machine behind him. And he was allegedly the one who cheated on her with Serena Carpenter. Who and so Carpenter? Olivia Rodrigo went viral and yeah. had an amazing career. Because she was the underdog right, girly. Exactly. So there is very much power in the underdog narrative. But yeah, the point being that there is no sort of tried and true format now for minting new musicians as pop stars or superstars. Um which is, I imagine, a huge concern for record companies who are trying to find the next Ice Spice or Olivia Rodrigo, uh, especially since TikTok, I believe, is developing its own sort of music discovery platform mm -hmm. so that people can, I guess, find new clips of music in their 10-second videos and discover their new artists. I've been seeing a lot of... Have you guys seen this influencer? And I forget the name, but they go around... I think Washington Square Park mostly, and they just walk up to people, and he goes like, "Do you make music?" And they're like, "No." Do you make music? Oh, I no. have seen him. And then like on the third or fourth, do you make music? Someone's like, "Yeah, I do." And they're like, "Oh, can we play a bit of your song to end this video?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." And so they just play the song of whatever musician, and I've seen like multiple of these kind of get huge numbers. And the knock-on effect of that is like, will these artists' songs, you know, I get, I guess, become popular in whatever form. But I do think like there are people trying to, you know, kick music discovery up a notch, basically. And we actually, to tease our upcoming guest, have someone who um, could very much speak to this, who... Uh, has started a new streaming platform that we'll hear a lot more about uh, and the whole kind of premise behind it is discovery in music. So I'm very curious to see like how this mysterious future guest uh, describes <laughs> the issue and what his solution is. Yeah. I'm it's Diplo. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. We spent our entire <laughs> our, our entire marketing budget. We're doing this podcast in a cardboard box, but yeah. <laughs> we got him. We yeah. got him. We got him. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the button. Oh God. Speaking of speaking of bad music or lack of music discovery, have you guys are you guys caught up with this might be old by the time this gets out, but that Planet of the Base video, you know what I'm talking about? It's this creator who's been around the block for a while. I think his name is Kyle or something, and he's done all of these kind of skits that's like what it was like to be a ball player in 1934 or like how kids be after recess and he do these kind of reenactments but basically he's made this video that is a parody of like y2k electronic music 
called Planet of the Base, and he filmed it in the skeleton or whatever the like One World Trade video uh, places, and he's filmed it in like multiple different locations, and it's a duet. So he's also filmed it with multiple different women, and then people are getting tied at him online because like he's used different girls for each part of the video. You know what I'm talking about? That's no fun if you I guys think, don't know what I'm I talking about. I think I've seen the video, but what's the issue with it? It's just the only thing I've seen on my timeline for mm. like weeks on end. So much so that like the best tweet I've seen about it is a tweet that was like, have you guys seen this? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the joke being everyone has seen it. Is it about, though, just like how Eurodance music is all similar or what's the point, I guess? Yeah, it's about like the ridiculousness of the of the lyrics, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, remember that like my yucky song? Oh my god! Live Obviously. your life by Rihanna and Ti. <laughs> Is that the song? You're gonna be no, shining star. No, You're talking that, about the Maya. The, the original. The Maya. Maya. Wait, Can actually, get, though. So live your life. So live your life. Hey! Hey! <laughs> well, I did. Have you guys been keeping up? Because I haven't. I've just pulled up this article. But with the Fred again <laughs> stuff. Uh, no, tell no. us. Who was so <laughs> I, we're getting a nod from our producer, Jacques. But basically. Here is, I'm just going to read you the first graph. There can't be many more maligned contemporary musicians than Fred again. The 29-year-old producer slash DJ has become a whipping boy for, quote, serious electronic music fans around the world who view him as an interloper, an appropriator, and a threat to all they hold dear. He is a one-man culture war, an artist whose very existence brings forth frenzied dialogue about authenticity and class. Last year, his <laughs> viral field block performance at Glastonbury was blasted across BBC Two and iPlayer. My Twitter feed became a wall of memes and flagrant digs in the direction of Fred again and his admirers. Blah, blah, blah. But, like, he's basically posh, Brit school, nepo class posh. And people, <laughs> and I'm quoting the face right oh, okay, now because okay, okay. obviously I wouldn't yeah. say oh. these things. <laughs> You're familiar but, it. Um, it is interesting, though, because, like, I think Fred again I thought was a meme because I was also seeing it's like, oh, it's Fred from YouTube. And I thought for a second that it was Fred from YouTube, like back for a DJ career. But I and again, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily like super up on this, but he's the only other one that I think has like held both airtime and seems like he's like kind of substantially broken through for better or worse in a big way this year. Is he the the new generation um, Calvin Harris? Like the Skrillet. Yeah. Fred again. Yeah, you know. Well, also, wasn't his song in uh, Triangle of Sadness? Perhaps. Yeah, I that's yeah. what made him big. <laughs> no, that's but I think what that's what big. I think that was a high profile. The thing that I feel like made him really big was the um, Skrillex with um, him and Fortet. Skrillex, Fred again, Fortet. That was a moment. Oof. Brutal. I do yeah. think, though, and like. <laughs> now that I've had a chance to read this article very <laughs> manically in the middle of the podcast, I do think what's interesting with the Fred again discourse is also like the authenticity question because I can't remember who we were talking about. Like the Bobby girl is like an industry plant. And his, like the debate with him not being authentic has more to do with just his ability to pay his way and become a massive DJ because his family is so wealthy. Like 
basically saying that he's just like riding on the coattails of like being able to spend to be talented. Um, and not to say that like he isn't talented, like lots of people have said like, yeah, well, he actually is good. But I think that there's also like in the sort of like Nepo baby discourse in general that we're having to like take it back to Hollywood even too. Or like if you're talking about like the next it girl, like all of these model girlies, like the Hadid sisters and like even like a Lily Rose Depp. Like I think that it does feel sometimes if you are looking across culture or like say there's like a music genre that you really love it's like well nobody is like breaking through on talent alone the way that I think it's easy to sort of like romanticize that once they did and maybe people did more to like a greater extent but I think there's always been these like industry machinations at play but like I do think that like we are in kind of a weird time where the talent to money ratio or like the money that you need to have in order to be famous and to break through whether that's coming from an industry backing like a studio or a franchise or like your family money is like definitely kind of like exponentially greater yeah yeah speaking of the hadiths real quick i just found out that there's a third one <laughs> no fiona not apple looking. we've yeah. got better we've got better topics <laughs> right, oh sorry. wait yeah. not you're talking about like alana hadith yeah yeah, yeah 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 i thought you just found out about anwar Oh, no, yeah. so this would be the fourth one, but yeah. this Hadid Sisters, okay, sorry, go on. Well, it's try. like that uh, SNL skit where it's like, I'm Dixie, oh, I'm yeah, Anna, yeah, yeah. and I'm Junie's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought um, you were talking about the one where it's like, I'm Kim, I'm Chloe, and it, or no, it's I'm Kim, I'm Courtney, and I'm third, and like, <laughs> <laughs> Chloe says that, oh, but it is kind of, yeah, Very there's much. always a third one, isn't there? Yeah, okay, sorry, go on, No, try. I was just going to mention there was... Uh, from the 90s, this clip of TLC that went, oh God, I keep saying went viral, but it was the 90s, so that was probably not possible. But there's a really interesting clip of, I think it's like T-Boz or Left Eye from TLC kind of breaking down their record deal and how, you know, they got paid like X million for their album and then they had to split it in three ways and then take out the production costs for making the album as well as filming all the music videos and then they had to take the taxes out. And like after all these deductions, basically this fee for like this A&R person, this fee for the PR, this fee for whatever, they were left with like basically not even enough to buy their own house. So I think if there was mega millions in the music industry back in the 90s and early 2000s where they would like have these lavish press trips to like fly journalists out just to listen to an album with somebody in like wherever it was recorded or you know all of these kind of major ways of promoting albums and filming lavish music videos to you know air on mtv and not just youtube that's like sponsored by eos lip balm um and now there's just like no money anywhere because and this kind of ties back to what we were saying about hollywood's issue every major culture industry has shifted to a model that was started out as an experiment streaming and they thought would be profitable and is not as profitable as like the old systems that were working for everyone and it was like change for the sake of change and now we are all reaping the benefits and by we I mean consumers because everything is shittier and don't bleep me on that. <laughs> Folks, <laughs> you can stream Day One FM on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Wherever you get your music and podcasts. But I agree. I mean, I was reading in Lucas Shaw's piece in Bloomberg that I referenced earlier. He, I, there's something like 100,000 songs are uploaded to Spotify every day. 
I think the barrier to entry, this sounds brutal because like it, I guess in some ways has again, benefit benefited us as consumers because the act we have like an insane amount of access to artists and musicians that we never would have had before. And we can post our own podcast <laughs> to the platform for people to listen to. But I feel like the barrier to entry is so low that the monetary incentives are also insanely low. Like you're making right. cents on the dollar for each stream. So the only way that you can make money now as an artist is to tour. And the only people, and again, it's like the point one, the point oh one percent of people who are touring at whatever the Coliseum or, you know, sparking earthquakes in wherever the fuck or, you know. Yeah, I know. It's like, so it basically is the only people who can make money from becoming a famous musician now are the Nepo baby people anyways. Like who wants to enter enter the industry to like beg for a chump change from their record label to record a okay record that maybe gets heard and then have to pay out of pocket for their own tour, which basically probably doesn't even make back its own budget. Basically, yeah. today on the pod, the crew discovers systemic but inequality. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk too about like speaking of the kind of quality of output, and this is just completely my own personal thing, but. I've been listening nonstop to the new Travis Scott album. Have you guys? Fucking snooze. So boring. I, I just like am still in shock about how much it cribs Yeezus, the Yay album <laughs> that yeah. Travis Scott also produced and how Travis brought out Yay at his concert, I think, in Rome. And like there was some sort of suddenly there's earthquakes sparked by concerts. I don't know. It feels very like, is this news? But um, I just like, I can't get over how something could be put out, could, I guess, top the Billboard charts, if that's what we want to reference, and be so similar sounding to something that came out in 2013. Yeah, well, I feel like it's because these are all feedback loops because a lot of these streaming platforms are, I mean, rolling my own eyes but are like you know built around algorithms which are a sense which are in a sense feedback loops so like you're listening to a song and then the song that you get served is meant to sound similar to the song that you were just listening to so you get this like homogenizing effect where travis scott's album sounds like yeezus which sounds like i don't know insert other artists before that you know so there's blackie kind of don't erase Blackie, who was who? cribbed by Yeezus. Basically, they like oh. there was this sort of Death Grips esque black artist that was very cool and interesting in making experimental music. That Blackie, like Ye, Yay, Yay, and Travis kind of cribbed, and then there were all these interviews around the release of Yeezus that were like, "Oh, Blackie, isn't this your sound?" Basically, and they were like, "Yeah." like stream my music instead kind of thing but like yeah this sucks and then yeah. once again the conversation's been like re-upped because it once again is like the same thing mm -hmm. i mean don't get me wrong i like this record because it sounds exactly like Jesus, which i also like and unapologetically but, but i um, do i think and i don't know this is also maybe like my own personal opinion i think what's interesting now in as like a younger artist or creative and i think you see this like maybe more clearly, or at least like I hear this sentiment more clearly, like in more of like fashion circles. But I think it's like in this example, for instance, it's like Travis Scott and Kanye West, these massive artists basically looking down to these younger artists for like inspiration. Mm -hmm. 
pulling all of their sort of like key like design elements or like in the case of music, like pulling their sound and then giving it into this massive platform, but also their platform, like not collaborating with this artist, but like taking pretty directly from their work. And I think it's and like that's another part of like this <laughs> Clara, Trey and Eli discover <laughs> systemic <laughs> inequality. But I do think like particularly now because there is the Internet and there's like this massive archive, if you want to go through it, of like rising talent, like rising artists, that you're basically just fodder in the machine for like. I don't know, like someone at LVMH to be like, throw your design yeah. on a mood board Great and be design. like, let's, let's make it. that. Or like, yeah, like let's <laughs> she in that. And I think it's also really hard to like, even like to the thing about AI, like ask for like consent, compensation and whatever you said. Control. And control. Like you don't have those things even in, even outside the three C's. You don't have those even in like outside of AI stuff yeah. either. You know, like it's all getting ripped. And by I'll, someone I'll make this short but like I follow one granary which is Same. my alma mater um, Central St. Martin's a design school in London and they have like a really interesting publication that is completely focused on young fashion creatives but from their Instagram account I've noticed like at least the past five posts have all been like memes about giving up before you even get started essentially and I feel like there's something going on where young people don't even feel this like sense of hope anymore that they can enter the fashion industry and make change or even anything without being either ripped off first by a giant label or just like not able to show their work and have it be seen on the platform that they want it to be seen on. So I think we are running out of to the kind of point of Zoom harvesting our facial data we are running out of like source material to kind of rework. So everything is kind of a copy of a copy of a copy now. And we are left with Utopia by Travis Scott. Folks, that's why we're an audio only podcast. No Zoom. Um, previously of Zoom. <laughs> Day 1 FM, previously of Zoom. Previously um, of Zoom, now with robots. House of Zoom. Thank you, Clara. Uh, well, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited, as I'm sure we all are, to really dive further into this topic with... Dive off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to... Uh, <laughs> let me try that again. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that was a great conversation. Thank you both. Um, still waiting on my UPS application to go through. But uh, excited to dive further into this with our next guest, who I'm sure will have a lot to say about the music industry, streaming, etc. as a whole. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Yo, thanks for tuning in. Stay up to date with all things Day One FM by subscribing to our page on Spotify, following us on Instagram at D1A, and staying up to date with the latest trends and insights on D1A.com forward slash perspective.